0: You people have been chosen to reveal our existence to the world. You will witness what happens here today and you will tell of it later. This is episode two of St. Longinus's baptism. Um the history of the church from 100 AD to 325 AD which was the council of nicaea before we begin let's pray in the name of the father son and the holy ghost amen saint francis of sales you set out on an ambitious missionary journey to connect 6000 oh, i'm sorry 60,000 Calvinist to the Catholic Church. Though this was a difficult undertaking, you faithfully worked to bring souls to God. Pray for me that I may always seek to lead others to God in His church. Pray that I may persevere against all difficulties to lead souls to God. St. Francis of the Sales, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay. As I said, this is episode 2, we're covering the period in church history from the death of the last apostle, which was 100 AD, to 325 AD, which was the convoking of the Council of Nicaea. So basically in this period, between the 2nd and 3rd centuries... The church had spread out throughout the Roman Empire's and even beyond the Roman Empire. There were uh, large Christian communities in Armenia, Iran, and India at this time. Um, <laughs> in. In older Bibles, I'm talking about the sixteenth century Bibles, the Dewey Reims and the King James. For the term bishop, you'll either see the word elder or overseer. Now the reason I'm able to make this this uh leap here is because um I'm I have a Dewey Reigns and, uh, in the new Testament, it refers to the Jewish elders as the ancients. Um, so basically what I'm thinking is, is, is that, um, you know, when, when they're, when they're referring to religious leaders, they're going to use overseer or elder or ancients just depends on your translation. Now as I said as I said in an earlier podcast after after the last apostle died there were heresies before 100 AD but they weren't widespread and they weren't powerful they were they were quickly dealt with but with the spreading of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire, um, many heresies came up during this time. And by the way, um, having a history of heresies in the Catholic Church—that um, that's going to go on <laughs> to present day. So this is not a new thing. This isn't an outlier. You know, this has gone out throughout Catholic Church history. <clears throat> Now, the major heresies that broke out during this time were Gnosticism. And basically, Gnosticism means a secret knowledge that's not from God, but from a different God. Um, it's a very materialistic heresy. Um, It's very materialistic minded. It's not... It, it, it's not um, got its mind on the heavenly kingdom. It, it, it's more dealing with earthly problems. Um, there's Mariconism I'm going to spell this out. I'm probably massacring the pronunciation. M-A-R-C-I-O-N-I-S-M. Um, basically this heresy said the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New Testament and that there's no Trinity. Arianism, which was in the late 200s, basically it denied the Trinity too. And it basically said that the son is not co with the father without getting too deep in the theological weeds explaining the concept of the trinity at least explaining why this is a heresy in the trinitarian understanding um the father son and holy ghost they they they've been there since the beginning in other words God the Father didn't make Jesus who made the Holy Ghost, you know, and he did these at separate times. They're saying that these um, personalities of God actually ex- existed from the beginning. So there was no separation. Um, And like I said, a lot of these definitions, they're just general outlines. Um, you can... You can do your own research, although I wouldn't recommend uh, Wikipedia, but I'll get into that later. Now, there's a bishop known as Saint Irenaeus. I'm going to spell that for you. I-R-E-N-A-E-U-S. And he was bishop, I think, of Lyon, Lyon, France. And he lived from 130 AD to 202 AD. And he put forth that orthodox faith was teachings that Jesus had handed down to the apostles and the apostles handed it down to their successors. And that the teaching were public knowledge they weren't secret you know they were public knowledge and they were accepted um now this this basically is a very short summary of epi- apostolic succession which the, ter- the the Catholic church has always taught Now, when I was doing my research for this, I bumped into a note that the, I'm going to name what, what this article said were proto Orthodox teachers. Okay. Now, once again, we're, we're, we're going on a, um, we, we, we have a thing going on here. I looked up the sources and, and the contributors to the, to the article. As far as I could tell, they were all Protestant. Okay. There's no such thing as a proto-Orthodox teacher. Um. The, um. This is is basically Protestant misinformation because you have to remember Protestants reject the Catholic Church and the Pope as their head. And I was reading their article and the impression I got was that the original Catholic leaders pushed their teachings to the mainstream over other, uh, other quote unquote Christian believers. And like I said, they don't say it directly. They're never going to say it directly. They're going to imply it, but that's the impression I got. So basically what they're saying is, is a cabal of, um, you know, quote unquote, you know, heretical Catholics, um, they, they, they pushed their notions, their teachings, and their definition of orthodoxy onto other Christian communities who didn't believe the same way they did. Um, you know, if you do any kind of, of reading from an honest historian, they're pretty much going to tell you that from 100 AD onwards... There were minor differences But for the most part The basic Catholic theology Was the accepted theology Throughout the Roman Empire At that time So Like I said This is Protestant misinformation Okay Now Now I'm going to give you a list that I got from the article of who they claim were the uh "quote unquote proto or I'm sorry what what was the definition oh proto orthodox what 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 the "quote unquote proto orthodox teachers who they were um Saint Clement the 1st who was the fourth pope of Rome and he served from 88 AD to 99 AD Justin Martyr who lived between 100 AD and 165 AD he was basically um I'm sure you've uh well he wrote the book the first apology and that's where you get the term apologist from because basically he was writing to pagan philosophers and he was trying to tell them how the the Catholic religion was true. Um, St. Augustine, he was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. He was alive from 354 AD to 430 AD. St. Ignatius of Antioch, uh, there are no solid dates for when he was born, but it's generally agreed that he died around one o eight A.D. He wrote several epistles. Um, Saint Iranius. I'm not sure he was a bishop. By the way, the um, Saint Augustine and um, Saint um. Uh, Ignatius, were both bishops. There were they were both bishops. But anyway, uh, Saint Irenaeus, uh lived between one hundred thirty A.D. and two hundred two A.D. And he wrote several. Uh, he wrote one book against heretics. And then the other quote unquote proto-orthodox person is St. Polycarp, who lived from 69 AD to 155 AD. And he has a surviving epistle to one of the Christian communities within the Catholic world. So, these, the Catholic Church, basically, I'm not sure about Justin Martyr, but the rest of these guys, they consider the, to be the Church Fathers. Um, Clement, Augustine, Ignatius, Irenaeus, and Polycarp. And the list of church fathers is a little larger than this. I'm just using, I'm just going off the list that they had in the article over the proto-Orthodox. Um, the first believers at this time, and you got to remember, uh, the catholic church was basically o- over all of the known roman world or roman empire at that time but it's um it's um its first believers were generally no i'm saying generally i'm not saying all slaves people of low social standing An aristocratic woman Obviously As the church grew And um, You know The the prohibitions against Practicing Catholicism Once those were lifted And it became more mainstream Then you had a, a, A wider variety Of people joining the Catholic church But its first followers generally fell into those three categories. Church doctrine, or I should say Catholic doctrine, was basically defined by the church fathers. Um, I just listed some of the some of the few church fathers. Um, if you're unsure what the term church father means, um, go somewhere and um, look it up. But I would not suggest Wikipedia. Now, at this time when there were christian communities all over the roman empire the first christians did not intermake intermingle with the pagan culture unless it was necessary to give you a little context in the roman empire at this time there were festivals to their to their pagan gods there were gladiator gladiator fights there were um There were uh, condemned criminals that were fed to the wild beasts to be torn apart. Um, uh, There were chariot races. Now, I'm sure that you can make the connection between ancient Roman pagan culture and our own culture of today. But the point, I just wanted to give you some context that the first Christians would have nothing to do with that. Now, they did not they did not intermingle that much with the pagans. They pretty much had their own little communities within you know within within the cities that they were living in. But obviously, if you're a slave or you're a uh, a, a lower class individual, you know it, it's a matter of necessity in order to feed your family. And, and, and the slaves obviously were under contract to their owners, you know, you had to deal with the pagans, but, um, and by the way, you know, this backs up what I read in a book when I first became Christian, that basically it said the same thing, you know, they, they intermingled with Christians, uh, I'm sorry, with pagan society. They just didn't, you know, they, they didn't hang out in Christian society. And the early Catholics had to keep underground about their religion. Because basically, I think I said this in the first episode, you know, um, they considered the pagan culture to be sinful and, you know, a lot of what happened in pagan Rome had a lot to do with the pagan religion that they were under. So, you know, um, they had to keep underground for the main reason that um, they were illegal. Now, you know, if you read if you read uh, histories, they're going to tell you, and this is absolutely correct. The type of persecution, uh, I'm sorry, persecution that the that that the Catholics suffered at that time depended on where they were at and who was in charge, or or if some poor Christian ran afoul of either the pagan authorities or the pagan citizens. So they pretty much had to keep underground. Now, you know, think about it this way if if you're if you're an American and you know there's there's a state there there's a system of religion but you've got this religion that you think is secret and there's a bunch of rumors and heresy about it or I'm sorry rumors and um and and scandals that are being said about it and you know you come across these guys, you're probably going to at least be suspicious at the best. At worst, you're going to be outwardly hostile and want to, you know, hurt these guys. So that's basically the average Roman, uh, Roman citizen attitude toward the early Christians. Now... Without getting too deep in the weeds Basically Before 1313 13 AD The Roman Empire was split And it was split several times Between several people For, for ease of information Basically If I'm rem- remembering my Roman history correct Um there was, a, there was a Roman emperor that was ruling Rome at the time because Rome at that time was still the seat of the empire. And Constantine, the first, uh, he was he had been given another section of the Roman Empire that that did not cover Rome. I think it was like Western Europe, I believe. And he decided, you know, that the emperor that was running Rome was a complete moron and idiot and that he would be better suited. And, and you know, he was ambitious, too. He wanted to consolidate, you know, Western Europe with Rome. So basically, he went to attack this, uh, this emperor. Now, at the time, both of them were pagans. Okay, both of them were pagans. They were not Christians. Although it is said that Constantine's mother was a Christian, um, all the historical evidence that I've read that at the time that he fought the battle um, for Rome, he was was a a pagan, you know. His mom might have been a Christian, he wasn't. Anyway... So, the night before the battle, uh, Constantine saw a vision. And basically, in the vision was the, I think they call it the Chireo. Basically, it's the Greek letters for Jesus or Messiah, I'm not too too connected with the details, but he, he saw, you know, the Greek letters for God. And basically God told him under this sign, you will conquer. Okay. So when he woke up from his vision, he went to all his soldiers and he ordered them to paint the, 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 Chi, the Chi Rio, um, the Greek letters on their shields now um this 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 part is gonna sound funny to you guys I think Constantine when he went into that battle had something like 15,000 soldiers and the Emperor he was fighting again against had 40,000 soldiers okay so you got 15,000 against 40,000 now. You know unless this emperor was a real moron when it when it came to leading soldiers and at this time not every emperor but a lot of emperors they did have experience leading troops not all of them but uh, uh, some of them did so anyway that emperor ended up getting killed and routed at that battle even though he had numerical superiority and um so basically constantine unified the roman empire from western europe uh over to um byzantium and after that battle when he won he did uh, he? He wrote a law called the Edict of Milan in thirteen thirteen A.D. And basically, he made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. Now, uh, emperors that preceded him, some of them didn't enforce that edict, or some of them, you know, um, if the local population. Wanted to feed a few Christians to the Lions, they turned a blind eye to it. But the official date for the legalization of Christianity in the Roman Empire is 1313. And um, just for, for my misinformed Protestant friends, Emperor Constantine did not invent the Catholic Church. And, you know, he didn't put the secret Christians to the Lions. The Catholic Church was the first church. And the Christians that were getting fed to the lions were Catholic. You know, you can make up whatever idea you want to. Those are the, you know, unbiased facts of the matter. Okay. So, the first council of Nicaea was called in 325... Nicaea is located in Turkey and it was called by Emperor Constance, Constantine, I'm sorry, Emperor Constantine in, in 1325. And every bishop in the Roman Empire was invited. Okay, every bishop in the Roman Empire was invited. Now we're talking, you know, we're talking under 2000 years ago and, you know, even even a grade schooler could understand that the times were pretty primitive. He may have put out an invitation for every bishop to to come to this council. It just wasn't going to be possible. You know, there were no cars, no airplanes, no internet, no telephone. You know, you're traveling over the Mediterranean Sea in boats that are not very seaworthy. You're taking horses and mules. On your um, on the roads, you know, it, it, it's not like today where you can go 30 miles in like an hour. You know, back then, to to cover any sort of distance, it was going to take you days and weeks, depending on the weather and depending on the roads. So, what the the First Council of Nicaea covered was the heresy of Arianism, the enshrinement of doctrine of the Trinity. In other words, the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity had always, well, it depended on your location and who your bishop was. But for the most part, most bishops taught about the Trinity, but it wasn't officially recognized by the other bishops. So when they had this council, the, the, the um, Doctrine of the Trinity was officially recognized by the entire Catholic Church as true, 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 uh, true Catholic doctrine. They also, um, they basically wrote the Nicene Creed. They uh, made uniform the observance of Easter. They promulgated early canon law. The council was called to establish uniformity of church doctrines. Like I said, we're talking about a church that spread over thousands of miles in a very ancient time. So, like I said, for the most part, most bishops... You know, the the, the details may have varied from place to place, but the overall teachings were pretty much uniform. What this council did was it made all Catholic doctrine universal. So in other words, if you lived in Rome, let's say, and you had a certain doctrine that you practice. And there was a church in Alexandria that practiced the Orthodox way. Well, with the signing of Council in Nicaea, that church in Rome would have to get rid of and denounce the improper teaching. Um, it also covered the organizational structure of the church, the dignity standards of the clergy. All that means is in order to be a priest or a bishop, you had to have a certain background and there, there were behavioral requirements made of you. You know, um, Joe the garbage man could not go to his local priest and say, hey, I, I want to be a priest, bro. Make me a priest. That didn't happen. There were standards. There was reconciliation for Catholics who uh, were lapsed. And basically all that lapse means is they quit practicing their faith. There were also norms for repentance and penance. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. There were norms for repentance and penance. So basically what that means is, is in the Catholic Church, you, um, the reason we have confession is so that you can go to the priest, tell him what you did, and then the priest will tell you what you have to do to make amends with God, okay? And the, what the Council of Nicaea did, because I guess up until that time, it just depended on your priest. You know, let's just say, let's just say that, um, that you, that you, uh, had sex with your neighbor's wife. We'll use that example. And You go to confession. Yeah, father, I, I had sex with my neighbor's wife. Well, depending on the priest, you might get a super, super harsh penalty. And I'll give you an example they might require you to stand barefoot in sackcloth in all weather in the town square with a little sign that says, I'm an adulterer for like a year, two years. I've even heard some penances going up to five years. Okay. And, and by the way, a penance... Like I said, is just um, or uh, uh, yeah, a penance is just you're making it right with God, and because the priest decides, you know, it was up to him. So basically, what the Council of Nicaea did was it set some standards, universal standards for the whole church. A priest, it didn't matter if he was a hardcore a uh, very hard-headed guy or a soft-hearted softy. It didn't matter. There was a uniform code they had to follow when doing this. There, um, there were also, they also uh, wrote standards for readmitting heretics and schismatics um, back into the Catholic Church. And they set standards. Let's say uh, the heretic or the schismatic was a priest when he defected. They set the standards if he could get reordained or not. And for the average Joe in the pew who became a heretic or a schismatic, um, they set the standards on whether whether or not he needed to be rebaptized or not. And it also set liturgical practices. Basically, a liturgical practice is, is how you have church services. Now, during the Council of Nicaea, there, there, there's some Protestant rumorism going on that they, they settled on church canon. <laughs> you guys are going to love this. That was a rumor started by Voltaire, the French philosopher who was anti-Catholic back in the 18th century. There's no, there's no historical evidence that they set the, the biblical canon at the Council of Nicaea. Um, and by the way, I'm covering these points and I will get to um, my issues with Wikipedia, or at least the, the information I'm getting. But anyway, a lot of the crap that they got in their articles is, is, is Protestantism. You know, um, they're, they're not calling Catholic history fake. They're just not putting it in their articles, or they're downplaying it, or they're twisting it. But anyway. When the Council of Nicaea was called, there were no historically recorded accounts of what is known as a Protestant or Eastern Orthodox. Hate to tell you guys, everybody was Catholic. And if you were not, if you were not Catholic, you were a heretic. There was no choices of churches at that time, unlike the 15th century no choices of churches. You were either Catholic or you were a heretic, and that was it. Um, Everyone in attendance, obviously, if your choices are Catholic and heretic, and this is supposed to be the true Catholic Church, the people that were called to this council were all, you know, uh, orthodox Catholic bishops. That's another thing, too. When, when the Catholic Church calls a council, um, I haven't done a deep dive into councils, but what little I remember is, is the people that show up are bishops, archbishops, and what are known as cardinals. I'm not going to get into the cardinal bit until a later episode, but basically when they have a conference, uh, a council, it's it's bishops. It's a bunch of bishops. Um, and something I came across later in my um, research was that the diocese or the see of Alexandria in Egypt was founded by Saint Mark in the first century. Okay, I'm just checking my note, my outline, making sure I covered everything. Yeah, I think I did. Okay, so my issues, I've done two episodes where I've attempted. Um, in my introduction, I did say I was going to try to use unbiased sources. and I figured Wikipedia would be as good as place as any. And turns out I was wrong. I've looked up three or four separate articles. And by the way, some of these articles were about Catholic, uh, the Catholic Church. And then I started reading the articles and I'm like, well, this doesn't square, this doesn't square. So I started looking up the sources and the authors that they were using. You know, the majority of just the, the, the history of the Christian Church. Those were all Protestants All Protestants And you, you know, if you're Catholic And you've ever been Protestant You can spot the, the misinformation And the lies from a mile away Um, The ones, uh, the articles on Catholicism Was mostly Protestants With one or two Catholics thrown in You know, so now, I, I said in my introduction, you know, I'm not going to Billy Joe Bob's super Protestant, um, anti, uh, the, the Catholic Church is the Horror Babylon blog site, you know, to, to get information to make it palatable to those of you who may not be Catholic. I'm sticking by that. Uh, quite frankly, having to flip through Wikipedia and do my own internal editing. um, it, It's making my job longer and it's not fun for me. Um, I may still use Wikipedia um, in the future for future episodes, but I think my next goal is going to be to see if I can find Find a resource that is not Protestant dominated. I know, maybe an honest secular um, person. But I mean, because like I said, when I first uh, joined Jesus in 2001, I had books, uh, the Oxford books and the Cambridge books, and they were pretty even handed and fair. They were pretty even-handed and fair, and there wasn't a tinge of Protestant bias in it. You know, if something was Catholic, they called it Catholic. You know, um, if the Catholics, you know, if there were corrupt Catholic clergy at a certain time or place, they called them out. anyway, I'm just going to go through real fast I have a little time left over. I want to make sure I covered everything. Yeah, I don't see any extra notes. And I've already told you why I'm unhappy with Wikipedia. Okay, before I end this. Before I end this. I'm going... I don't know if you noticed in the first episode. I gave some books. I'm going to try to list some resources in, uh, this episode too, if it gives me the room to do it, because, um, the, the, the bishops that they named as proto-Orthodox, um, they wrote, some of them wrote several epistles that did not make it into church canon, but are considered, um good for catechesis and learning. They're just not up to the terms of scripture. I'm going to list those books. And, um, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to try to list them. So guys, I appreciate you for hanging with me today. Um, I hope that you got something out of this. Um, I hope the quality was a little better. And um, I just want to say thanks for, for listening. Um, God bless you. Uh, I pray that you will, you will join the one true religion. And I pray that God protects you and blesses you. Thank you for listening, guys. Have a good day. Bye-bye. And shepherds we shall be, for thee, my Lord, for thee have power hath descended forth from thy hand, Let swiftly carry out thy command. So We shall flow river forth to thee, and teeming with souls shall it ever be. In nomine paltry. I feel it. Spiritus Sancti.